Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You got Tommy and Randy here. And today we're going to go over a study called What is Babylon? It's a booklet by James White. And I will put a PDF of this in the description below. Also, this is going to have some Bible verses listed in here. But if, it, if it's not listed in the book, um, just make sure you pause the video, look up the Bible verses and read it. Because this is going to be kind of a long study. And we really want to keep this as short as possible. So this starts off with Reader. The subject we wish to investigate has come out of Babylon. You should not be prejudiced against the investigation, for it is a doctrine of the Bible. God has proclaimed it and commanded us to obey his mandate, pronouncing the most dreadful woe upon all who shall knowingly disobey. Let us therefore fear not the result of searching for the truth on this as well as on all other subjects, nor dread the consequences of embracing and proclaiming it to others, when sure we have found it. With these preliminaries, we will inquire. First, what is the Babylon out of which God calls his people? John answers the question in Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 through 5. He says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Here we are plainly told what Babylon is. Yet a question arises whether the woman, which is called Babylon, and the beast which carried her are to be identified as one and the same power. If so, then it is contended that papal Rome is the Babylon which this figure represents. But if they represent different powers, then Babylon must be constituted of something more than the Church of Rome. That the woman represents one thing and the beast another is clearly evident from the fact. First, number one, we must see that their physical uh, constitution is different. One is a beast having seven heads and ten horns, while the other is a woman having a golden cup in her hand. Two, their seats are different. The beast has the seat of the dragon. That's Revelation chapter 13, verse 2, which was at Rome. But the woman has her seat on many waters, which are peoples, multitudes, nations, and, and tongues. And we can compare that in Revelation 17, 1 through 15. Number three, their office is different. The beast carries while the woman is carried. Number four, they are intoxicated by different means. The kings and inhabitants of the earth, represented by the ten-horned beasts, have been made drunk with the wine of the woman's fortification. But the woman was drunken with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. Uh, Revelation 17, verse 2 through 6. Number five, the woman committed fornication with the kings of the earth, or the ten horns of the beast. Did she commit fornication with herself? She did if the woman and the beast were but, but one power. Number six, the angel describes them as two distinct powers. It says in verse seven, 
I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her. Then in several verses which follow, a minute and distinct description of the beast is given, and the woman is not identified with the beast any farther than being carried by it. In verse 18, the woman is distinctly or separately described. She is said to be that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. It is admitted that the kings of the earth are represented by the horns of the beast. How then can the woman be the beast when it, it is says that she reigns over it? That there are doubtless two distinct powers, and in order to rightly understand the subject under discussion, it will be necessary to learn what each represent. The beast in chapter 17 and chapter 18 and the dragon in 12 represent Rome under all of its forms, from its rise down to the final destruction of all earthly governments. The dragon and the beast in both cases bear nearly the same description. Each has seven heads and ten horns. Consequently, they must be symbolical of the same power. Rome is that power. It bore the character of the dragon while pagan idolatry was the religion of the nation, kingdom, or empire. This continued until A.D. 508, when paganism fell and Christianity corrupted, soon became the religion of the state. At this time, the seven-headed and ten-horned beast came up, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. And A.D. 538, the dragon gave the beast his power, seat, and great authority. And this is in verse 2. See the decree of Justinian, published in many of our standard works. This state of the beast was to continue forty and two months. And this is in Revelation chapter 13, verse 5, or 1260 years. During this term of, of time, the beast, which is always the representative of a political power, holds the preeminence. It should not be overlooked that the beast wears crowns on its ten horns during this 1260 years. See chapter 13, verse 1. This shows political power had the preeminence. But when John saw the beast again in chapter 18, it is humbled. A woman is sealed upon and guides it. It has yet its seven heads and ten horns, but it has no crowns. And instead of having the name of blasphemy, as in chapter 13, it is now full of names of blasphemy. Revelation chapter 17, verse 3. Clearly denoting it to be the last form of all earthly governments. It is the eighth, in verse 11, and the last form of the beast, ready to go into perdition, in verse 8. When does John see this eighth? This last and scarlet-colored, seven-headed and ten-horned beast, humbled, shorn of his crowns and under the control of a dissipated woman, the mother of harlots? It could not have been at any time during the 42 months or 1260 years, from the time it took its seat in A.D. 538. For during that term of the time, the supremacy was vested in the beast, not in the woman. For John says in Revelation 18, 7 through 8, And power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell on the earth shall worship him. And besides, during this time, the beast wore crowns. Verse 1. Then John's last view of the beast must have been after the close of the 1260 years of its supremacy. Well, when would that be? Okay, let's just count 1260 years from A.D. 538, and it brings us to 1798. 
So what marked this period? Okay, the beast, political Rome, was humbled at this time by the French, and its supremacy over the saints lost never to be regained. The woman then took her seat upon many waters, and since then reigneth over the kings of the earth. Chapters 17, 1 and verse 18. Okay, we view the case thus. Rome was symbolized by the great red dragon, while connected with pagan idolatry by the crowned ten-horned beast, while connected with Christianity corrupted, and by the scholar-colored beast with no crowns on its horns. Under the guidance of the woman, the latter is the eighth and the last form of the beast in Revelation chapter 17, verse 11. Having, as we believe, ascertained what the beast is, we next inquire, what does the woman symbolize? It symbolizes the nominal church. For the Lord hath called thee a woman. Isaiah 6 will go on. A woman clothed with the sun. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. These and other passages speak of the church under the similitude of a woman. We think no one will deny. But it is the harlot woman in Revelation 17, the same with the woman clothed with the sun in chapter 12. We think they are the same with the exception that her last state is a state of a dispensated prostitute or apostasy. It is admitted and long advocated by all Protestants that the church has apostatized from its primitive purity. Paul predicted that there should come a falling away before the man of sin should be revealed. And this is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we think the same falling away is referred to by John in Revelation chapter 12 in the history there given of the woman. He first sees her clothed with the sun, and but she soon flees into the wilderness, a place of disorder and darkness. And this is in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 31. A fit place for the earth to help her. God should have been her only help. Eagle's wings are also given her, the wings of an unclean, proud, and destructive bird, such as were plucked from the proud king of Babylon. This is in Daniel chapter 12. Did God give his pure church such wings that she might escape from her enemies into the wilderness? We cannot believe it. Neither does John say he did. But he says to the woman, We're given two wings of a great eagle. Then who did give them? The earth helped the woman we think, gives the correct answer. All this, we think, took place under the reign of pagan Rome, and that her wilderness, state the place prepared of God, did not commence until the rise of the beast in chapter 13, which was to continue 42 months, the same length of time that the woman was to be in the wilderness. Doubtless, both cases refer to the same time. The woman does not fly while in the wilderness, but fled into it. The wilderness is her place repaired of God, where they shall feed her for a time, a times, and a half a time, or 1260 years. It is thought by those of an opposite view that the woman should be viewed in the light of a parody while in her place, the wilderness, because God prepared it for her. But has not God prepared the place for the devil and his angels? Certainly. And must they therefore be pure? No one will contend for this. Neither do we believe the woman was pure while in her place 1260 years. Far from it. She was holding unlawful connection with the beast or the kings of the earth during this time. They fed her. Revelation 12, 6. Not God. So with what did they feed her? And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints 
and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. That's in Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. Blood then was her food. The beast shed it, and the woman drank and became intoxicated with it. She lived in a state of dispensation and fornication with the kings of the earth, while in her place with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, Revelation 17, 2. If this is not her character, why does John talk of her being the mother of harlots? Verse 5. In her state or place of concubinus, and since she was taken her seat on the beast, she has brought forth a numerous prodigy of illegitimate daughters who have soon imitated the example of their mother, our great-grandmother, and like her have become harlots. Tommy, what are harlots? They usually get paid, don't they? Yes. Do pastors get paid? Yes. Hmm. We view the case of the woman, the nominal church, thus. She apostatized under pagan Rome, entered upon her wilderness state in AD 538. Here John leaves her in a place for 1260 years, holding unlawful connection with, but subject to, the kings of the earth. The beast during this time held the reins of government. It wore crowns. At the end of the 1260 years, AD 1798, John carried it in vision into the wilderness, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, and sees the woman just where he left her in chapter 17. But how wide the contrast between her first and last character and condition. At first, she was clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, Revelation chapter 12. She had no daughters, was a pure woman, but now she is a drunken harlot a mother of not one, but of many harlot daughters, and guides the beast which carries her or holds the supremacy over the state, just as an artful mistress controls the will and destinies of who are deceived and following paramours. Has not the church held this station over the kings and rulers of the earth since A.D. 1798? The facts in the case prove that she has. She sits upon many waters, which are people's and multitudes and nations and tongues, and this is in Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, and reigneth over the kings of the earth, not by physical power, but by artifice, cunning and deception. Her influence is felt and submitted to in every legislative body of the world, kings, queens, and rulers who aid and influence she seeks, and who are among her most liberal supporters and actually carry her, are nevertheless guided by her artful and polluted hand. Having, as we believe, obtained a correct understanding of the beast and of the woman, under consideration, we are prepared to consider the question, what is the Babylon out of which God calls his people? The Advent Shield, page 116, answers this question in the following language. Babylon, then, is now compromised in the present kingdoms of the world. The peoples, the multitudes, nations, and tongues, the many nations which John saw, on which the woman sat, the kings of the earth, over which the great city, Rome, reigned, Babylon now not only comprises all earthly power and dominion, but embraces everything which is anti-Christian in its tendencies. To this answer, we offer the following objections. First, if, as the shield says, the kingdoms of the world are comprised in Babylon, how can the woman, that great city Babylon, reign over all those kingdoms? It is folly to talk of a city reigning over itself. Second, the kings of the earth committed fornication with the woman or Babylon, Revelation chapter 17, verse 2. If the shield is correct, 
the kings committed fornication with themselves. Number three, let's look at, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, Revelation 17.3. If, as the shield says, the kingdoms are, are comprised in Babylon, then they have drunk of their own, not of another's wine. Number four, the kings of the earth are to bewail the final fall of Babylon. That's in Revelation 18, 9, and 10. But if the shield is correct, she will bewail her own fall. Number five, John makes a clear distinction between the kings or kingdoms of the earth. In Babylon, in chapters 16 and chapters 18, but the shield makes none, no difference. These objections were, we deem, sufficient to settle the point that the shield has not given the correct answer to the important question under consideration. We must therefore look for another answer. Mr. Hodgkiss of this city, in a recent discourse, defined Babylon to be exclusively papal Rome. And not a few adopt his views, the views, and we believe they are generally entertained by the different Protestant sects. To this answer, we object. Number one, first, because Rome, or papal, does not answer the definition of the term Babylon. As Mr. Hotchkiss justly contended, Rome, or the Catholic Church, is a unit. She is one in name, doctrine, and ordinance in all her work, but Babylon signifies confusion or mixture. It cannot, therefore, be applicable exclusively to the Catholic Church. It should not be forgotten that there is meaning in the name. Babylon. God has given the name and rightly applied it. It does not fitly apply to the Catholic Church. Number two. The Catholic Church abstractly has its seat at Rome, but Babylon has its seat upon many waters. Revelation 17.1. Three. The Catholic Church abstractly does not reign, neither has she ever reigned over the whole earth. But Babylon, where the whore sitteth, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Revelation 17, verse 15, which embraces the whole earth. The fourth, if the mother of harlots, the Church of Rome, abstractly considered as Babylon, then her harlot daughters are left out of the question. Then why did John call her not only mother, but mother of harlots? As well might a mother be called the whole family, as to call the church of Rome Babylon. Having shown what we think Babylon is not, we will attempt to tell what we believe it to be. We believe it is the nominal church. Can you repeat that again, Tommy, the nominal church? Yeah. Go ahead. We believe it is the nominal church. In Revelation chapter 12, John saw the woman, the church, fly into the wilderness. The next time he, he beholds her, she has upon her head mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. In explaining what this woman is, in Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, the explaining angel says in verse 18, And the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. This explanation is the strongest proof that those present who believe that the great city is literal Rome, they say the woman is a figure, the explanation is literal. Therefore, the city must be literal. It must be Rome. Their reasoning would be good if the explanation told us that that great city was Rome. But as it does not, neither is Rome anywhere in the Bible called Mystery Babylon, nor that great city. Therefore, it is a mere assumption to say that Rome is that great city. What then is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth? If the angel was talking of what then existed, 
it could not have been the city of Rome, for the kings of the earth did not then exist, for Rome was in its imperial form, and the kingly form did not rise until some centuries after John saw the vision. And certainly the literal city of Rome does not reign over the kings of the earth. Now neither is there any piety in calling it Mystery Rome or Babylon, nor the great city. There are other cities far greater than Rome, and it would be as proper to call them Mystery London, Mystery Paris, Mystery Peking, Mystery Vienna, Mystery New York, as to call the little city of Rome a mystery. So there is no more mystery about it than any other city or town built of wood, brick, and stone. The angel says, the woman, the great city, but does not tell us in the explanation what the great city is. To ascertain this fact, we must consult other portions of the Bible. Under the seventh vial, we are told in Revelation 16:19 that the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. It is true that we are not here told what the great city is, only that it is great Babylon. But we are clearly taught that the cities of the nations are one thing and that the great city or great Babylon is another thing. The great city uh, was divided, but the cities of the nations fell. Rome is one of the cities of the nations. It cannot therefore be the great city. In Revelation 14:8, that great city is brought to view, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, the great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of her fortification. We admit that in this case, we are not told what Babylon is, but we are taught that it is not identified with all nations. The city of Rome is identified with one of the all nations. It cannot therefore be the great city which has made all nations drink of her wine. Again, in Revelation chapter 11, verses 8 through 13, speaking of the two witnesses, John says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. And a tenth part of the city fell. There can be no dispute, but that the great city in this case is Babylon. So our brethren have preached and published to the world, and they have taught us the street of the city, and the tenth part of the city which fell was France. They have also taught that it fell in A.D. 1798, or near that time. If France was a tenth of Babylon in A.D. 1798, what were the other nine tenths? Why? Our brethren have taught us that the other nine divisions of the Roman Western Empire constitute the other nine tenths of the great city. How then can the city of Rome be that great city? It cannot. Neither can the Catholic Church exclusively be that city. For at the time the witnesses were slain in one of the streets of the city, and a tenth part of it fell, at that time a part of the ten divisions were Protestant in their religion, and a part Catholic. We then learn of the, what Babylon was constituted in A.D. 1798. It was all the Protestant and Catholic religions embraced in the ten divisions of the Roman Western Empire, which includes all the Catholic and Protestant churches of the world. They constitute that great city, or Mystery Babylon, represented by the mother of harlots and her apostate daughters. Once more in the text under consideration, John says, The great city is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. The city of Rome is nowhere either literally or spiritually called thus. 
neither was our Lord crucified there. But we do find that the nominal church is called Sodom and Gomorrah, and no one will deny that our Lord was crucified by the church. Speaking of the church in her apostasy, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom, and give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. In verse 12, he says, How is the faithful city become a harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. For this judgments are threatened, and purging away of her dross is promised. And in verse 26, 27, and 28, the prophet adds, And I will restore thy judges as at the first, and thy counselors as, as, as the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness, and the destruction of the transgressor and of the sinner shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. Here God's people, or Zion, is represented as one being the faithful city, but has become a harlot, or as John says, mother of harlots, mystery Babylon, Jezebel and her children, the great whore, the great city spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, or as Isaiah says, Sodom and Gomorrah. Apply these titles to Rome and all its darkness, and insurmountable difficulties arise before us. But apply them to the nominal church, which is composed of all human ecclesiastical organizations, and it all is clear. The fallen condition of that body is perfectly answers the character these titles give, and the reason comes home to God's people with redoubled force. Why they should fully separate themselves or come out from such corrupt influences? There can be no question, but the woman is symbolic of the church, and as she is called Babylon, there can be no dispute, but the church is Babylon. But what church? We can make no distinction no farther than the figure will justify. It is a mother and her daughters, a family of harlots. We admit the mother represents the Catholic Church, the eldest member of the family, and we believe the daughters symbolize the Protestant sects. If they do not, pray, what do they represent? No one of an opposite view has yet been able to answer this question. We can see no resemblance between the mother, a unit, and a great city, but the whole family most strikingly represents that city. Take the whole and the figure is perfect. Leave out the children and it is imperfect. This view of the subject we think is strengthened by what is said relative to the church in Thyatira. In chapter 2, mention is made of the woman Jezebel, her fornication, her great tribulation, and it is said, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth their reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Here the children of the woman are identified with all the churches, which are to be killed with death, and to every one of you the churches will be given according to your works. We believe the woman Jezebel and her children in chapter 2 and the mother of harlots and her daughters in chapter 17 are symbolical of all the churches and as the mother of harlots is called Babylon. It is evident to us that all the churches constitute the Babylon out of which God now calls his people. But the question may arise, how can the daughters be included when the name Babylon is exclusively inscribed on the head of the mother? The same objection with nearly, if not the same propriety, might be offered against the beast representing all the kingdoms of the world. It had its origin, received its power, and has its seat at Rome. 
yet no one denies but that it symbolizes all the kingdoms of the world. So with the mother of harlots, she is the chief tower in the city or member of the family, and it was proper to inscribe upon her head the name or the fraternity or the city. Babylon comes from Babel and signifies confusion or mixture. Genesis chapter 10, verse 10, and chapter 11, verse 9. The account there given will illustrate the case under consideration. Chapter 11 begins with the account of the earth being with one language and goes on to tell that the people journeyed eastward. They came to a plain, made brick to build them a tower, and a city. God confounded their language and scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and the name of it, the tower, which is called Babel, or as the margin reads, confusion. It should be remembered that the tower was called Babel or confusion. With this inscription upon it, we will suppose a traveler understanding the meaning of terms visits the tower. He sees the inscription in large capitals and expects to find the tower answering to the name it bears. But his disappointment is great when instead of confusion, he finds perfect order, system, and mechanism in the formation of the brick, the plan, and construction of the tower. Why, says he, there is no confusion here, and the name the tower bears is inappropriate indeed, but cries the voice of him who inscribed it. Therefore is the name it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from hence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Genesis chapter 11, verse 9. Aha, cries the traveler, I perfectly understand it now. The name is truly appropriate, and it has its location where it properly belongs. It is inscribed on the tower because there God confounded the language of the people, and from thence were they scattered. The confusion, therefore, must be looked for among the people scattered over the whole earth. The application is easy. The church commenced building her a tower in a day under the influence of Catholicism. God confounded her language and scattered her, or different sect, have sprung up. Each has built a tower and attempted to build a city. They, too, have been confounded and scattered. Hence, the work of the tower and city building, confounding and scattering, has gone on until perfect confusion reigns throughout Christendom. The great city is complete, and reaching far above its many towers is seen the one first reared by the mother of the city. And upon her tower the name of the city is properly inscribed, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. It is inscribed upon the mother's tower because, as in the case of Babel, the type there, the work of confounding, and from thence the scattering commenced. Again, God calls his people out of Babylon, Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. Where are his people? Until quite recently, they were in different churches. Some, doubtless, are there yet. Many, thank the Lord, have come out in obedience to his call. Babylon, then must be that place where God's people are found at the time they are called to come out of her. And as they were in the churches was scarcely an exception, at the time the cry to come out was made, the conclusion is irresistible that the churches are the Babylon under consideration. The influence the church has over the world is strong evidence in our favor. She dictates its laws and guides its destinies by her deceptive hand. No one of the sects does this work alone. It is done by the influence of them all. It, the whole great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, Revelation chapter 17 verse 18, 
She reigns by artifice, cunning, deception, and an artful woman rules her deceived and fallen paramours. That the churches are Babylon is further evident from the fact that no other view of the subject makes a perfect harmony in the prophecies of John. With this view, we can see the woman go into the wilderness, A.D. 538, and remain there 1260 years until A.D. 1798. When she takes her seat upon the beast, a dispensated harlot, surrounded with a family of daughters of like character, all which constitutes the corrupt influence which now controls the affairs of the nations of the globe, and will until the great city they represent, together with the kings of the earth over which she reigns, to be destroyed by the coming of the Lord of glory. Finally, the facts in the case answering to the strict definition of the term Babylon is conclusive evidence that the churches or nominal church constitutes the Babylon under consideration. When we look at the confusion or mixture in the names, creed, doctrines, worship, ordinance, practices, and so forth of the sects, we involuntarily exclaim, oh, what a Babylon. And when we see her corruptions, we wonder not that God calls his people out of her and threatens in the most fearful language her speedy and everlasting destruction. The fall of Babylon, having shown that the nominal church compromising all human ecological organizations is Babylon, out of which God calls his people, the next point to be considered is the fall of Babylon. This is a quote from the Advent Shield, places this event in the future to take place in the actual coming of Christ. On pages 116 and 117, it is said that the fall of Babylon is the end of Satan's supremacy in the earth, when Michael will stand up and reign. In speaking of the coming out of Babylon on page 118, it is said, thus, when the wicked are to experience the fierceness of the wine of the wrath of God, the righteous will all receive the invitation to meet their Lord in the air, will not suffer for the sins of the wicked, nor receive of her plagues. We are constrained to take a different view of the subject because, first, Babylon exists after her fall. For after her fall is announced, in the same verse it is said, and has become the habitation of devils. And it goes on, Revelation chapter 18, verse 2. Her fall then could not, as the shield says, be the end of Satan's supremacy. Second, God's people are called upon to come out of her after the fall and deep corruption of Babylon are announced, verses 2 and 4. But according to the shield, that call must be made at or before the fall. Third, after her fall, Babylon proudly says, I sit a queen and am now widow and shall see no sorrow. And this is in verse 7. If the shield is correct, she says this before her fall. Fourth, the call come out of her, my people, clearly implies a voluntary act on the part of those who hear. It is optional with them to come out or remain in Babylon. For to the call is added that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. And this is in verse 4. But there can be no option or volition with the creature in his resurrection. Change from mortality to immortality and being caught up to meet the Lord. The two cases are entirely different in their nature. The call come out of her implies a voluntary act while being caught up implies a passive act. The shield makes both to be one and a passive act. Fifth, the shield blends all these events in one places of them in the future, at the actual coming of Christ. Hence, Babylon has not yet fallen and become the habitation of devils, and the voice come out of her, my people, has not yet been heard. But John makes a clear distinction in the events as the following testimony will show. After telling what Babylon is in Revelation chapter 18, 
Commencing with the 18th chapter, John says, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies, our power, as the margin reads. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins that receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached into heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, fill it to her double. How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her, that she saith in her heart, I set a queen, and I am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God which judges her. So first we learn that this testimony that Babylon was first to fall and become deeply corrupt. In verse 2, the second, after that fall of corruption, God's people are commanded to come out of her, verse 4. Third, after the call is given, Babylon becomes proudly exalted and contemplates no sorrow but undisturbed dominion as a queen of universal power, verse 7. In the fourth, but at this time of her proud expectations, she is to be utterly burned with fire or finally destroyed, and this is in verse 8. That the fall of Babylon and her destruction are different events. It is evident what John says to her after the occurrence of each of those events. He seeks of Babylon after her fall, as having become the habitation of devils, of God's people being called out of her, of her being threatened with plagues, her sins reaching to heaven, God remembering her iniquities, and of her glorifying herself and saying in her heart, I sit a queen and shall see no sorrow. See Revelation chapter 18 verses 2 through 7. All these things are said of her after her fall has taken place. Surely then her fall cannot be her destruction, but of her destruction it is said, she shall be utterly burned with fire and shall be found no more at all. Verses 8 through and 21. The fall of Babylon we consider consists of her final rejection of the truth and her destruction will be her punishment for that rejection of her and her corruption. It may be asked, can a power fall and not be destroyed? One example of many which might be named will show that it can. The Jews as a nation fell before their destruction. They rejected Christ who told them in the last time he left the temple, that their house was left unto them desolate. And again, if thou hast known in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. But Paul speaks directly to the point, had they stumbled that they should fall. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, Romans chapter 11 verses 11 and 12, when did the Jews fall? At the time of salvation came unto the Gentiles. Through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. And this is in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Number 11. When did salvation come unto the Gentiles? All admit it came after the first advent of Christ. When were the Jews as a nation destroyed? Near 40 years after they fell. Or their final rejection of the truth. 
Their fall was gradual, but final when they rejected the Son of God. Notice, Tommy, they rejected the Son of God. The Trinity rejects that Jesus is truly the Son of God. So with, with Babylon or the nominal church, its fall has been gradual. Truce after truce have been presented to the church, but she has rejected them until the last and most glorious of all, the second coming of Christ, and has been treated with as much contempt as was the doctrine of his first coming by the proud and sin-hardened Jews. And since this last, this crying sin, the fall of the church, has, has not only been visible to others, but its chief organs have proclaimed the mournful fact that the Christendom, we give the following testimony and justification of our, of our position. Elder R. Turnbull, missionary in Europe, says, Everywhere in France, Italy, Switzerland, Germany, a dread formality scorns to prevail. The heart of the religion has been worn out by speculation or benumbed by constant irritation of mere forms and ceremonies. The consequences of which is that in most places, it's nothing more than a hideous Elton hung upon terrium are exhibited to be the people as a curiosity. Such is the condition of the church in the Eastern world. And is it any better in our own boasted land of Bibles? Our opponents being judges, is it not a late number of the Congregational Journal or marks as follows? This is the church of the Reverend Albert Barnes. At a recent meeting of the Presbyterians of Philadelphia, Reverend, uh, Reverend Mr. Barnes, pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, whose notes are so extensively used, in our families and Sabbath schools, stated that he had been in the ministry for 20 years and never till the last communion had he administered the ordinances without receiving more or less to the church. But now there are no awakening, no conversions, not much apparent growth in the grace and professors, and none come to the study to converse about the salvation of their souls. With the increase of business and the brightening prospects of commerce and manufacturing, there is an increase of worldly mindedness. Thus it is with all denominations. Thus it is with all denominations, and will they deny the charge? Let them speak for themselves. The Puritan Orthodox of this city, Boston, not long since informed its readers that there had not been known such a state of coldness for some twenty years. Zion's Herald made a similar statement and endeavored to fix the blame upon Millerism. And we have been told that at the recent protracted meeting held by Mr. Knapp at the Tremont Baptist and Mr. Culver's church. The failure was ascribed to the same cause, ad herald. The Christian paladin for May 15th speaks in the following mournful strains. In every direction we hear the dolorous sound wafting upon every breeze of heaven, chilling as the blast from the icebergs of the north, settling like an incubus on the breast of the timid, and drinking up the energies of the weak, that lukewarmness, division, anarchy, and desolation are distressing the borders of Zion. Perhaps it is so. What then? Do we well, like the howling women of ancient days, to rend our flesh, our hair, and till the whole atmosphere with our wailings? It is but a few passing months since the whole extent of our widespread country rang with triumphant Pills of joy borne upon the wings of numerous religious periodicals and spontaneously overflowing from every Christian heart. Not a lip but was shouting the victories of the cross or joining in the triumphant songs of the redeemed. And is the whole scene now so changed? Is God's whole Israel routed and flying before their uncircumcised enemies? 
And is it to be at the end of the long years that Zion's walls are again to be built? I do not believe it. I cannot think that God's hosts are thus broken, routed, and flying from an overpowering foe. The next point in order to be noticed is the call for God's people to come out of her. First, the Bible does speak of a call for God's people to come out of Mystery Babylon. It is evident that the following testimony, My people go ye out in the midst of her, and deliver ye every man his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord. Jeremiah 15, I'll let Tommy put that down. And this testimony refers directly to Mystery Babylon. And there's a good reason that it does. Then the proof is clear that such a call is made. But if it refers to literal Babylon, the testimony is not invalidated, for there can be no dispute but that literal Babylon was a type of mystery Babylon. And by comparing the above command with one which can, there can be no dispute about its applying to mystery Babylon, we can find the type and anti-type perfectly agree. In reference to mystery, Babylon, it is said, And I heard another voice from heaven, saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. In Revelation 18.4, the testimony fully settles the point that the Bible speaks of a call of God's people to come out of Babylon. And by the way, when they talk about an angel, Tommy, they mean it's a heavenly message. Yes. Second, the nature of the call. We say call but it is more properly an imperative command given by the Most High to his people, threatening the severest penalty in case of their neglecting or refusing to obey it. Hence, Jeremiah assigns as a reason why God's people should go out of her, that every man might deliver his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord. And John says, Come out of her, that you may not be partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. Also, we think the same penalty is threatened in Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10. After the fall of Babylon is announced, the third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The call, then, is like any other of God's positive commands, addressed to his people as rational beings capable of obeying or disobeying the same, threatening the severest punishment to the disobedient, and promising the richest blessings to those who obey. This view of the subject renders it highly important to inquire. Third, to whom is this call addressed? Not to the incorrigible sinner, not to the graceless, formal, cold-hearted, and worldly-minded professor or church member or minister, but to God's people, his true people who are in Babylon, to them is this call made. It's Here, a good point, Tommy, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very good point right there. Hear it in the words of him who gave it, and obey when you hear it. He says, My people, go ye out of the midst of her. In Jeremiah verse 45, Come out of her, my people. Revelation chapter 18 verse 4. Will God's people disobey this command? They will not. They cannot and long remain his people after they knowingly disobey. The blessings of having a right to the tree of life and of entering through the gates into the glorious city are only promised to those who not only hear, but know the commandments of God. And this is in Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Oh, beware lest the love for remaining in Babylon be the cause of your being forever shut out of the city of God. To more clearly show that this command is especially binding on God's people now, we inquire. 
When was this call to be made? So, in other words, this call to come out of Babylon are only to God's people that are in Babylon. It's not to the sin-loving, world-loving churchgoer. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or to the professor. It's only to God's people. So that's a key point. So when was this call to be made? It is evidently was to be made shortly before the overthrow of Babylon and soon after her fall. And this is the order of events are laid down by the divine writings. And isn't that amazing, Tommy, is that this goes perfectly with the destruction of Jerusalem 40 years after Christ, and he's telling them to flee in Matthew. Yes. But he gave them the warning before it took place. Yes. And only the ones that heeded the warning survived. Yes. Mm. In Revelation 18, 2 and 3, the fall, corruption, and crimes of Babylon are named. In verse 4, the call to come out of her is given and then immediately follows her exaltation and destruction. And before, the Bible says, before pride cometh before fall in hmm. Proverbs. The same order is observed by chapter 14 in verse 6 and 7. John saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them, to dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory for the him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven, earth, and sea, and the fountains of waters. And by the way, tell me, what is the everlasting gospel? That Jesus Christ is literally the Son of God. And that it's through their spirit, not another spirit, that we're saved? Yes. So that's the everlasting gospel, John 3.16. Yes. But I also read John 3.16, The everlasting gospel we believe to be the same which Christ calls in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom which was to be preached to all the world for a witness unto all nations, first before the end of this world, the hour of judgment and the appearing of Christ in his kingdom. It has been preached for a few years past by believers in the near coming of Christ and has been rejected by the church. They have stumbled at this, to them a rock of offense and fallen. And this fall is the next event which follows as recorded by John in verse 8. He says, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. By the way, I'm going to reemphasize this. When they say an angel, it's a heavenly message given to humans to pronounce on this earth. A lot of people want to confuse that and think that an angel is going to come down and give this message. No, through God's spirit through Christ is giving this. So it's a heavenly message given to human beings to give for the final stages of Jesus Christ, second coming. Yeah, Randy, if I could interject for a second. And also, uh, God also said that the just shall live by faith. So if a literal angel was coming out and we've seen an angel say this, would it be faith or would it be just knowing? It's not, when you go by faith, it's believing in something without seeing it. If you had to see an angel come from heaven, then it's no longer faith, it's knowing. And be careful about angels coming from heaven. Make sure they're ones coming from God, not Satan. Yes. Because he will appear as an angel of light. Yes. But it'd be a false life. Anyway, and there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. The next event, as recorded in verse 9 and 10, is the third angel followed them saying, with a loud voice. So this message, notice that it's with a loud voice. If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead, not on his forehead, in his forehead, or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Whoa. And as we have shown in our previous remarks that Babylon has but recently fallen in her corruption, there can be no reasonable doubt but that the present is a time for the cry, come out of her, my people, to be made. We offer the following facts and proof of this position. 
First, just such as a cry, as the divine writers described, has been made, it perfectly harmonizes with the order of prophetic events and has been made in just such a state of the church as it was predicted she would be in the time the cry should be given. Second, the cry was given by many, obeyed by thousands of God's people, nearly if not at the same time, if different parts of the country, without any knowledge of what each other were doing, or preconcerted agreement on the subject. The work evidently was and is of the Lord. Third, the testimony of those who take a different view of this subject is evident in our favor. Speaking of believers in the coming of the Lord in Vermont, where many have left the churches, Brother Litch says, the Adventists in Vermont are an honor to in any cause for untiring zeal and fervent piety to you will look in vain to find their superiors in any of the churches. The different denominations say, you have enticed them away from us. You are breaking up our churches. Speaking on the same subject, Brother Himes remarks, We found that the friends and supporters of the Advent cause had, as a general thing, left their respective churches and declared themselves free and independent of all associations that stood opposed to the Advent at hand, whether they professed friendship or hostility. Okay, I could not learn that they rejected the idea of a true ministry or church or the only creed, the Bible, but cling to those with more interest than ever. They have regretted the necessity of this step, but it was a case of life and death, certain death. If they remained in the old organizations deprived of their rights and meet in due season, life they gave up all for Christ and his truth, the fruit of this action has been and still is life, a vigorous strong faith, and more through a consecration to God and to the advent of Jesus Christ. It has been said that this movement was to go up and be carried forward by indiscreet men, disorganizers, come-outers, etc., that they may be some such persons among us who will not deny, but that the great body of, of advent believers who have left the churches are such, we do deny, we say, without fear or contradiction, that we are from among those wise, judicious, and experienced members of the church. And more, that they that, that are from among the most intelligent, pious, and devoted are carrying out the great principles of the gospel and the lives of self-denial and concentration that some of their accusers at least would do well to imitate. And though I may not perfectly accord with them in, in some applications of Scripture to the Protestant church, within all conscience are bad enough, Yet I feel to stand with them in the humblest position, shoulder to shoulder, in sustaining the advent of the coming of Jesus, till it be consummated by the advent of our churches have taken such a course in relation to our King. The churches have taken such a course in relation to the advocates of faith once delivered to the saints that they could not honestly live with them, and notwithstanding the remonstrance among leaving the churches, Heretofore, God has led his people into a large place, into a rich pasture, and we believe that the hand of God is in this matter. If God has led his people out into a large place and the hand of God is in the matter, then the means by which this work has been effected must be of God also. Well, what have been those means? Nothing less nor more than the cry, Come out of her, my people, and the intelligent and pious have obeyed it. It was a case of life and death certain death if they remained in the old organizations. But the fruit of coming out has been life, a vigorous and strong faith and a thorough consecration to God. Nothing but the truth can produce such glorious fruits as are here described. The truth 
enlightens, sanctifies, and makes us free. In this, as every other case, when it is obeyed. And if it is binding upon one, it is upon all of God's people to obey it. And death, certain death, will be the fruit of disobedience. From the foregoing fact, it is evident that the true cry, Come out of her, my people, is now being made. And considerations of the highest magnitude arise every hand why this divine command should be obeyed. Tommy, I think there's an interesting fact, too. It says, only God's people are called to come out. Uh, it didn't say that all people, only God's people. So when you're coming out of false doctrine, like the Trinity, state of the dead, you know that you're taking these from the Bible and the Bible alone. There's no rapture. So if you don't come out, you know, then maybe God's not calling you. That's a good point. And here, here's another thing. If you look at the parallels of, of uh, Babylon whenever they were building the tower, they all went up speaking one language and they came down speaking several. So if you go, if you take that into what happened with uh, uh, Christianity after um, Jesus' crucifixion, the, the papacy, they all went up speaking the Trinity. And it was, it was all one doctrine that the, the papacy... Uh, was preaching, and then whenever all the Protestant churches fell away, they all spoke a different language of the Trinity, but they were all still Trinitarians. Now, the from the ones that were protesting the Catholic Church, right? Tritheism, Trinityism, or Twitity, Twitity, or Godhead, yeah, or Godhead. We can add all those, uh, they all go back to the Trinity, and when we talk twin, Twinity. I hate to say that, is that we believe in the Holy Spirit, but it's God's Spirit through Christ in us. It's not another person, co-eternal, co-equal. Uh? And Jesus, by the way, and a question that needs to be asked, does Jesus have a God? Yes, he does. It's his Father. So when we're talking about coming out, can a person, well, God calls them out. And remember, where do you come out to? You know, a lot of churches say, well, you're, we're not Babylon. You need to come to us. Well, you're called into truth. The truth shall set you free. You're called to Jesus Christ to the Father. Not a, It's not a denomination. I've heard denominations preach this and say, well, we have this and this and this, and we are the true church, but yet they still hold on to pagan doctrines. So you, one of them is the Trinity or fraudhead. Now, how you know, are you the true church if you have the same God as all the right. other ones? And they'll even pronounce that they keep the commandments of God, all of them, and they're really bringing about light on the fourth commandment, yet they're keeping a pagan trinity. That's not coming out of Babylon, Tommy. So we need to come into all truth. How much truth, Tommy? All. Not just one half or a percentage, all truth through Jesus Christ to the Father. Just wanted to add that. So God's only calling his people out with a message. And by the way, uh, there's a day about to be inaugurated. We're going to talk about that too, Tommy, uh, in honor of the Trinity, you know, and you're going to see it brought in on climate change, that this is going to turn into a loud, a loud cry for God's people to come out of pagan doctrines back to him and the Father. All right. So, yeah, um, I'll make sure to put a PDF of this book in the description below. Please study it with your Bible, and I'll, I'll put some other books in there as well. Please reach out to us, leave comments, and uh, like, subscribe, or dislike, whatever you want to do. But please share this book, and uh, take care, and God bless. God bless. Come out of Babylon.